slide. Oh, no, we should have two slides before that. All right, there we go. So we are continuing on in our um, Ephesians series. Actually, today is the last Sunday. Hooray! Um, It's kind of a bittersweet time. It's just been a great study for me personally. But we've been discussing together our true identity in Jesus. As I kind of approach this time together, I realize that some of us live in the lie that it's normal for the Christian to live a life of defeat or to feel lost or to be trapped in loneliness or even living without a purpose. But Paul, as we've journeyed together, has been faithfully teaching us that we are loved, that we belong, that we're called, that we are to have victory in Jesus. In Christ, we truly can have and know all things. Paul said early on in our study that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And it's been my prayer that as we live live into our life in Jesus, we learn more and more what Paul was trying to teach us, that we have available to us everything that we could ever imagine. He said elsewhere, as you know, even able to do more than we could ever ask or think. In Christ, we have a rich, powerful, life-changing heritage as members of the family of God. We truly have so much to be thankful for, so much to live for, so much to achieve. Yet I believe in your life and in mine, there is so much more still that God wants to do in us as we live our life in Christ. So as we near the end of this extended sermon series, it's easy even as a pastor to look at this last message as if we're dotting our final I or crossing our final T. But if you read along with, or as you read along with Ted here in a couple of minutes, that really isn't the case. In Paul's mind, at least, the writer of the text that we're gonna read together, Paul's been teaching us everything that he can in this book about what it means to live as a faithful follower of Christ. Then last week, he reminds us that we're in a spiritual battle, a battle literally that will determine our eternal destiny. How many of you, I was thinking about this week, you know, I, I, kind, of, I kind of came rev for battle last week. We had the sword, we had the video. It was just one of those days where it was, it was cool. Even Nick came and told me after service, he's like, Pastor, that was a cool sermon. And if a teenager tells you it was cool, it probably was. <laughs> It was fun last week, and I was thinking this week, you know, that's, that's kind of how we've, we are rounding out the time. We've been told about all the things that God has done for us, all the things he wants to do with us, and then Paul kind of like slaps on the armor, gives you a sword, and sends you out in the battle. I think the danger is, you probably met some people like this, that they believe the Bible is their sword, and they will thump it on you as hard as they can, even to your own detriment. You ever met a Bible-thumping Christian warrior, be careful. Just a side note. Gracious love in the spirit, wisdom in that. But he's saying in order to be victorious, you need to know how to defend yourself against the enemy. Don't use it as a blunt-edged tool to cause damage into the lives of other people. So the scene was said after last Sunday that we are ready. We are being sent out. We are prepared to go out into the battle, either whether we're on the defense and we're protecting ourselves against the temptations and the attacks of the enemy, 
Or like yesterday, God sends us out on the front lines in order to be a blessing and a tool to somebody else. And Arla displayed the faith that God had called her to do something that she may not have felt like doing. And she put on her helmet. She put on her armor. And God did something special for her and for those around her. So we're ready to go out in the battle. And, and, and I love battle scenes in movies, don't you? I, I just, it's one of the most inspiring, exciting things that I could imagine watching besides the organ ducks just crushing the Washington Huskies. And Nick and Noel are not here to enjoy that one. I, they'll have to listen to the message later. I'll let them know five minutes in, turn it on, you gotta listen. But there's nothing that I can think of that is more exciting, more invigorating than getting to watch a battle scene in a movie. You've always got a general, right? Or a soldier who's like motivating the troops, right? I can't think of a, of a more thrilling moment than to watch Braveheart and Mel Gibson race across the front lines and yell at the top of his lungs, they may take our land, they may take our homes, but they will never take our freedom. I'm like, yeah, I wish I was there. And I'm a pastor of a Quaker church, but it's, it's just something, maybe it's romanticized, I don't know. There's something inspiring about watching an army get ready for battle. Like, I wanna be there, I wanna be a part of something big something important. And so the thought is, is that we just rush out into battle. And as we follow the trajectory of Paul's writings, as our brother's going to read us for us in a couple of minutes, there's something really critical that we need to get first, and then he'll send us out. So let's watch together a short scene of a group getting ready to go out into battle. Just had to do it for me, if nothing else.
And that's where we're ready to go, right? And this is where we get to the Word of God and what Paul has to say for each of us today. I does it yes. Excuse me. Gosh, my daughter is enjoying it. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me, so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely, as I should. Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and that I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Could it be true that prayer is often the missing link in our armor? Truth be told, perhaps for some of us, the missing part of our spiritual pilgrimage as a whole. We're gonna look together this morning at five things that Paul tells us about prayer in this passage. And then just shortly after, just imagine this, this faithful warrior, this mighty proclaimer of truth, no matter, I mean, you think of the obstacles that this man fought. You think of the fight that this man said, he's like, I've fought the race. I've done this. And it wouldn't be long before he faced the executioner for his testimony and for his faithfulness. He says five things about prayer to us today that I believe the Lord might want to share with each of us. First, he says in that passage, it's real easy. It needs to be a spirit-led prayer. Right off the bat in verse 18, pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. I read that this week and I was like, wow, I'm not sure if I've ever, have I done that? I'm not sure that I get to my prayer time and think, okay, I need to pray in the spirit. I might have said that I need to be in the spirit of prayer. Or I may have said, I'm not sure I feel like praying right now. Or I might have said, I really need to pray right now. But it ever take a lot of thought in what Paul was trying to say when he said, be in the spirit of prayer. Pray in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 tell us this. And I think it fits for most of us, at least in some part of our pilgrimage, when we're not sure even what to pray or how to pray. So think of this idea of praying in the Spirit. Paul said elsewhere in Romans 8, these words, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray but the Spirit enters himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So we see that Paul teaches the Holy Spirit is praying for us before we even start to pray. So that when we don't know what to pray or how to pray, that we would be cognizant of the fact that God's Spirit is already moving upon us, within us, wanting to speak to us about what he has on his heart. To be praying in the Spirit. Jude chapter Jude 20 says it this way, you dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. One author says when we pray in the Spirit, something supernatural happens to our prayers. The Holy Spirit tells us what we ought to pray for and how we ought to pray. Apart from the Holy Spirit's assistance, our prayers are limited to our own reason and intuition. But with the Holy Spirit's help, they move to a higher level. I read that this week and I was like, I want that for me. Let me read it again. Apart from the Holy Spirit's assistance, our prayers are limited to our own reason and intuition. With the Holy Spirit's help, they move to a higher level. Could it be that part of our reality, part of our identity in Christ is that we are people who learn more and more every day to pray in the Spirit as God teaches us? As we seek his help, he will speak to us through his word, which conveys his will rather than our own regarding every matter of principle and detail in our life. Have we ever approached God by asking him how we should pray or what we should pray for? I'll admit that usually I come to God with my list, with the things I'm concerned about. And certainly we should be encouraged to do that. But Paul is teaching something at least deeper here than just our list, but as a one-on-one connection with God where he shows us his heart. And we begin our time of prayer and experience our time of prayer not through our prism of our reality, but a deepening understanding of the prism of God's heart and God's reality. Awaiting on God for his spirit's direction for what's on his heart. <laughs> for those of you who've been with us for a while, you're gonna remember this illustration, but I just can't illustrate it another way. Pastor Chapman was a, a, a famous pastor in his day years ago. Successful, well-read, renowned around the Christian community, yet he wanted to do more for God and for the kingdom. And he heard about this gentleman who traveled around the world. His name was known as praying hide. And wherever this man went, heaven was rent asunder and revival broke out almost wherever he went for whoever he prayed for or with. Pastor Chapman being that if he could only have this man pray over his ministry, it would be forever changed. He would be forever changed and nothing would be the same in his life, in his church, or in his ministry. Well, God provided the opportunity for the two to meet and he beseeched the renowned prayer warrior, would you have five minutes or 10 or a set amount of time where we could just go somewhere alone and you could pray over me and my church and my ministry? And the man was very humble. He said, I, I'm busy and you know, you're, I'm sure you're doing a great work. And he, he persisted. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But finally, the gentleman, he's like, meet me at such and such a room 
and we'll pray together. Well, he was ecstatic. He was so excited. He, was, he just believed that this would be a life-changing moment. The time came, he knocked on the door, and the man quietly opened the door and welcomed him in. He said, you get on your knees on this side of the bed, and I'll get on my knees on this side of the bed, and, and we'll pray. <clears throat> so Pastor Chapman <clears throat> believed that the heavens would just be rendered from the opening moment. He gets on his knees, and he closes his eyes. He takes a deep breath, and he says to himself, I hope I'm ready for this. <laughs> but for moments afterwards, there was nothing but silence. Nothing but silence. Confusing, unnerving, belittling. He even wondered if something had happened to the man's health where he had fallen over and was no longer conscious. But so unsure of himself and so uncomfortable in the silence, he just waited. So finally, after what seemed like hours, the great prayer warrior just said the words, Oh God, oh God and went quiet again. And he said in that moment, something changed inside of him. Because up until that moment, that time of prayer had been about Pastor Chapman. Hadn't it? It had been about what he could get out of God. What God could do, or this man of prayer could do for him. He said, I've been a pastor for years respected, loved the Lord. And in that moment, I realized that so much of what I had brought to God was about me. And so little of what I brought to God was about him. And he said, that changed me. It changed my prayer life. It changed my ministry. It changed my relationship to God. I thought I'd been a pretty good person of prayer, but for so much of it, it had not been about the Spirit, it had been about me. I can't think of a better example of what it means to grow in a spirit of prayer, to pray in a Spirit-led way, than to receive more of God and watch more of ourselves be laid on the altar before Him. Do we pray in a way that we could say is spirit-led. May God help us to get in a deeper place with him. Paul has other things to say about prayer. He also says in that passage to pray in the spirit and on all occasions. He said elsewhere in the Bible to pray without ceasing. Are those your favorite verses in the whole Bible? I've never heard anybody say, my favorite verse in scripture is to pray without ceasing or to pray on every occasion. I wonder if it might be that Pastor Chapman would have said the same thing until that moment. And from that moment on, he might have said, there's nothing I look forward to more than to be with him. To pray in all occasions, to be in continual prayer. Now, there have been times in the history of the church where people have decided way to fulfill this passage is to quit their job, to leave their family or not have a family, to go off in some place somewhere and sit on a, a pillar until they either died or starved to death or received a vision from God. It doesn't mean that we have to become spiritual monks. It just means that there needs to be an experience in our life of continual fellowship with God. 
For those of you on Facebook, you've already seen this quote this week. Brother Lawrence, if you've never read any of his stuff, look it up on the internet. It's good stuff. He wrote these great words about communion with God. He said, the time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling out for different things, I possess God in as great as tranquility as if I were on my knees. I paraphrase it this way. He possesses God in the chaos as, as much as in the silence. He talks with God in the busiest of times as frequently as he does in the slow times. There is a kind of continual connection and fellowship with God that goes beyond a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Bible study or a small group or a meeting with friends. It is a part of our every breath and our every day. We need to be in a spirit of continual prayer. Maybe it needs to be that we need to reevaluate our connection with God. Is it just on Sunday morning? Is it just at an event where other people go together? Or do I experience in my identity with Christ a growing level of intimacy, a growing desire and need, an experience of connection? And none of us have this figured out. I don't think Paul did. He's offering it as, again, an opportunity for us to to walk into, live into a deeper connection, a deeper level of communion and conversation with God that every breath that we take, every moment of our day in one way or another can be an acknowledgement of who God is. Ben, have you ever prayed even internally when Violet just won't stop crying, Lord, help us? (laughs) In one way or another, I'm sure you have. I know I did when my kids screamed. You ever been caught in a traffic jam and say, Lord, help this train get moving? You ever lay down at night before going to sleep and pray for your kids or your grandkids? You ever start a meal saying, Lord, help this to turn out right? I do that with everything I cook because usually it doesn't. (laughs) There, There are opportunity to commune with God in everything that we do. It doesn't mean that we stop doing what we're doing and we close our eyes and we shut down the operation. We can just learn to have fellowship with him that's give and take. You know, you do, when you're in the kitchen with your spouse or your, your family, you just stop cooking and turn off the stove in order to tell them what you did as you were going through your day. No, the heat is on, you're stirring the pot while you're opening the can and you're doing this conversation at the same time and that's what God wants with you and I. Just be about our daily life continually praying and experiencing life with him. Thomas Kelly, in his writings, Testament of Devotion, said it this way. There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all demands of our external daily life. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, in a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Isn't that beautiful? I hope that you are experiencing that in your life and that you want more of it. Or if you don't experience that in your life, that that whets an appetite within you 
to commune with God in a way that you never have before, a gentle receptiveness to the divine breathing. Thirdly, this morning, Paul talks about another kind of prayer that we have called this morning a prayer of variety. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, a variety in the kinds of prayers that we pray. Ask you this morning, is your prayer time all the same? Do you pray in the same place every day? Do you pray in the same manner every time that you pray? Do you pray about the same things and only those things every time that you pray? Certainly there is something for discipline and for routine. But I think even the devil has a place in that if it becomes a rut that we get into. Do you ever mix it up in your prayer life? Do you ever change locations, change positions, change volumes, change postures, change the way that you pray? Most of us get the request down really good, but do you offer God testimonies of praise? That our prayer is not only about what we need from God, but our prayer can be about all the things that God has already done, all the things that he already is and will always be. I think when we get that place in our life, our prayer time becomes a time of worship where it is simply our hearts in communion and adoration and consecration before God. I'd said earlier that we were gonna get to this again. The prayers I opened our service with were prayers that were pre-written by someone I don't know. And I was so moved by this little bit longer prayer that was pre-written about conviction and sin that I just felt compelled to read it. Do you ever read someone else's prayer when you pray? Don't buy the, make all this stuff up on your own. The Bible does say that God will help us to pray when we don't know how to pray. Took me two minutes on the internet to find this prayer that someone else had prayed and written out for me, maybe for you. Close your eyes with me or lift them to the heavens however you might want to worship God. Holy and loving Jesus, today I'm praying about my heart. In particular, my heart's convictability. It would be impossible for me to overstate the joy and peace I have in being able to affirm there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How I praise you for completely exhausting the judgment I deserve for the multiple ways I fail to love God and my neighbor's as commanded. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can intensify or lessen its irrepressible wonder. Hallelujah. But there remains a disconnect between the good news of no condemnation for my sin and the very important news of deep conviction about my sin. Through recent circumstances and certain relationships, I can see that I haven't been taking my sin as seriously as I should. I know that this isn't right. So, Father, I come before you today humbled and hungry. If anything, the gospel of grace should make for quicker and deeper repentances, not fewer. 
To be specific, I'm aware of how I indulge a critical spirit towards some people. And at the same time, I work hard to maintain the approval of others. I'm also aware of how easily I can be lured by lust or greed. I also see how, what an ugly paradox, that I'm often self-righteous about the gospel, seeing I get it better than any moralist or person of the world. Left to myself, Jesus, I'm capable of acting out in very foolish and destructive ways. Left to myself, Father, I'm simply a mess. Jesus, bring to me a fresh place of godly sorrow for my sin. The kind of good grief that will lead me to repent more quickly and not get weighed down with vain regrets of the past. I know you don't want me to put my conscience back under the law, but I also know grace will not put my conscience to sleep. There's no power like that found in the gospel that can possibly convict me, humble me, gentle me, and strengthen me for doing all things for the glory of God. Grace isn't an anesthetic, but a sensitizer when it comes to the glorious freedom of guilt-free, shame-free repentance. Great is your faithfulness, O God, and kind are your ways, and sufficient is your grace. So very amen, I pray, in the wonders of your name and the glories of your love. But that's how pagans pray, stirring a begrudging God to action by trusting our commotion more than your providence. You commend it, even command corporate prayer, what really happens when we gather together to cry out to our great and gracious God in Jesus' name. Forgive me and help me, Father, for I know I've overcorrected in the direction of being a generalist in prayer. I don't tend to ask for very much specifically in prayer, and therefore I don't tend to expect very much specifically from prayer. Teach me to be more bold in my asking and more unwavering in my trusting that you really, really use the prayers of your people. My great, even greatest joy is in knowing that Jesus ever lives to pray for us and that the Spirit is ever interceding within our hearts. What a most glorious and comforting arrangement, Father. So very amen, I pray in Jesus' great and glorious name. And there are a thousand ways for us to pray. A thousand and more prayers for us to share. Spice it up. Mix it up. Do it different. Ask God to do something new. Don't do the same thing you've always done. Paul says that all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of prayers may be led by the Spirit in communion with God. Fourthly, Paul talked about a kind of prayer that we're going to call persistent prayer. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Always keep on praying. Jesus talked about this kind of persistence in the Gospel of Luke by the means of a parable. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 2 through 5. And we think about persistence. This is the kind of thing that Jesus was trying to get across by means of a story. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Sound like our world? Can you identify with that? There was a town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. 
And for some time, the judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that eventually she will not wear me out with her coming. It is amazing to me that Jesus told that story the way he did. There is so much that makes us uncomfortable about that. Doesn't it? We don't want to come to God with that kind of expectation because he's God, right? Paul says, never, never give up. Do not stop in your prayers. I read a story this week about a pastor who'd prayed for 50 years for his brother to get saved. For 50 years. And over and over again, he, he felt like giving up. And he was reminded of these words in Ephesians. In all occasions, in every way, continually be in the spirit of prayer. It was a part of who he was. He could not help but continue to pray. The cultivation of persistence was a recurring motive in Jesus' teachings on prayer. And later on in the Gospels, he would say, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. We're studying that word, that verse this week, and this is the way it, it really translates for us. Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking until you find. Keep on knocking until the door is opened. There's a tenacity in our relationship with God that needs to be a part of who we are. Now we recognize that he is God and we are not. We're more led by the Spirit. We're more moved by him. We're in it for the long haul. Fifthly and lastly, and you see it on the front of your bulletin, there's a kind of prayer we call intercessory prayer. Paul says to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind to be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador and change, and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul said, pray for the believers, pray for the faithful, pray for the saints so that we can proclaim the truth boldly, even unto the very end. We need to encourage each other in person, like on Sunday morning, yes, but it goes beyond the Sunday morning. Friends, when during the week do you pray for Robert and Kim and Johnny who travel every week to be with us? When during the week do you pray for our Sunday school teachers? who commit themselves, except for the month of August, to every Sunday? When during the week do you pray for those in the office? When during the week do you pray for those out there on the harvest field? When do you pray for the shut-ins in our church to even know who they are? Pray for your leaders that they might fight the struggles that come with being on the front lines. The struggles that come from being frustrated with not enough help and so much work to be done. Such a large task and such few workers willing to serve. Even Jesus admitted this frustration 
by saying, the fields are ripened to the harvest. Great is the work, but few are the workers, and then he commissioned us to go. Can you imagine being in Paul's church, receiving this letter from him? I mean, this guy had put in his time, and then some. This guy had served God, and then some. This guy had been faithful, and then some. This guy had suffered, and then some. But you know what? He wasn't done. Not until his last breath was Paul ever finished with anything that God was doing in his life. And so he wrote to his church, and he says, I want you to stand in the gap for me. So that in my hardest hour, in my darkest moments, by your prayers, by your intercession, I will have the strength to take a stand for God that will last for all of eternity. He knew that it wouldn't be very long before he went before the Roman leaders and faced trial for his crimes. He already knew the punishment that would be inflicted. It would be death by execution. Yet everything that Paul had done was leading up to this defining moment in his life where he would stand before the most powerful government in the world. The most learned scholars, the most corrupt culture, the most wicked government. You could go on and on. If you wanted to be a place of influence or of conversation or of power, this was the epitome in that day. And it wouldn't be very long before Paul was called to account. And he says, I need the church to be interceding for me. I need the church to be there for me in the hour when I don't know how I'm gonna be there on my own. I need you to be interceding for me. And so again, he says, pray for me that whenever I speak, words would be given to me that I'll be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. A beaten punished, dark-in-the-dungeon guy wants to live fearlessly, passionately, readily, mightily for the moment that was before him. And in order for him to do that, he needs his church to be praying for him, to be interceding on his behalf. It's my hope and prayer that we, all of us, have many years ahead for us. But what is that next moment that God is calling you into, to live into passionately, powerfully, vibrantly, fearlessly for him? And he says, we need each other to be behind the scenes praying for us so that we, first of all, think that way and live that way, but then that we're ready in that moment to be in tune with God so that we will hear his voice and fall. You've heard me say it many times, an effective Christian is never on an island alone. But we are here together, a gift from God to intercede for each other as we follow him. We're called to stand in the gap for one another. And so many times, you know, I've never seen a battle scene that I like where there's an army of one. 
I don't think there's a feeling, I at least, but to watch a scene like that and to feel like the people around you on every side and behind you will fight to the death for you. They will give every last measure of devotion to serve you, to protect you, to lead you in whatever you're doing. And I think that should be the church, amen? To be there to the end, to support, to encourage, to uplift, to intercede for in every way that we can. What a beautiful picture Paul has painted for us of the Christian life. And he wraps it all together around our prayer times with God. that we'd be led by the Spirit, that we'd follow the Spirit's direction, that we would be in tune with the Lord in every way possible as we follow him, that it be a kind of continual experience that lasts not just for Sunday morning, but throughout the day. Be something that becomes a part of who we are. We learn to pray in different ways. I hope that challenges you this week. Do something different and may it be led by the Spirit of God. Let's stand and I'm gonna close this with a time of prayer.